Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. We love blessing our kids, our students, uh, and uh, we love having them as part of worship and then sending them to their classes. So, uh, parents, adults, if you'll join me in this blessing for our students. Now, may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do His will working in us, which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we pray a blessing over our students as they go to their classes. Lord, that you would use this time in their lives. I pray blessing over their teachers and their leaders as well. Lord, thank you for their faithfulness in our kids' lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bye, guys. Just gives me the, yeah, Tasha, perfect. Hey, um, as they're leaving, uh, we go back real quick, just a minute, to that song that we just sang, Oh, How He Loves Us. Um, <laughs> if you can. And I, I, I wanted to make a comment how, how incredibly moving that song is for me. Um, and how important it is because I, I think that we come on Sundays and, um, you, you know, maybe you've come a long time to church and we forget that we come to be reminded of how much God loves us, of the, the richness of his love, of the extravagance of his love, that he loves us so much, that you are so loved, and that we are here out of a response to that love. We're, we're not here out of obligation, hopefully. Um, we're not here, um, you know, because we lost a bet. You know, we're not here because somebody paid us. We're here, uh, and we're, we're, we want to be here. We're supposed to be here as a response to the love of God in our lives, and, and sometimes I think we get used to all of this. We, we get used to the songs. We get used to the sermons. We get used to saying hi to people, and, and it doesn't really connect with us. It doesn't really hit us that we're here because we are loved more than we can imagine. And the crazy thing is that we're loved more than we can even get our heads around. And, and that's part of the lifelong journey is experiencing and growing in what it means to be loved by God. Uh, so we're in this little mini series called uh, that we've, we've been using Explore Truth. Uh, it, this morning it's Experience Grace and next week uh, we're going to talk about expressing love and, and what that means. And, and let me just say this, that, that we're going to talk about these things, but all of these things, all of these topics, Explore Truth, Experience Grace, Express Love, they're all about Jesus. In, in John, the first chapter, it says that when Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth. We talked about that the first week, that, that we hold those things in tension, this idea that Jesus was full of truth and the idea that he was full of grace. And we experience both of those in Jesus. He isn't just truth, but he's truth and grace. And all of that comes through him. And then Jesus said to us, 
that, that we're to express his love. In fact, he said to us that, that greater loveth no man than would lay down his life for his friends. He, he said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. He told us that we're to love each other and that we're to love the world. And so we're talking about these ideas of, of explore truth. This morning, experience grace. And then finally, to express uh, his love. And it's all about Jesus. Uh, and, and here's the last thing I'm going to say as part of the introduction. Is I'm going to ask you a favor this morning. I'm going to ask that you would make this personal. Uh, that you would take this personally this morning. That this isn't just simply about a, a Bible lesson. This isn't about a sermon. But this is something that we want to take personally. That we experience the grace of God in our lives. Uh, that we haven't heard it so many times that we're sort of immune to it. Uh, we're not going to just look for new verses that we haven't read before. We're not going to just look for things for somebody else. But we want to make this personal this morning. And we want to experience God's grace in a fresh way in our whole lives. So can we, if we can do that together, it would be awesome. And here's where we're going to start. We're going to start in Luke, the 18th chapter. And uh, let's just read this story in, beginning in verse 15. And it goes like this. It says, uh, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, uh, uh, called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for, su for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Really interesting uh, words of Jesus that he wants us to take to heart. He wants us to understand. And this is kind of the scene is that Jesus was becoming a famous rabbi. He was becoming a famous teacher that there were crowds flocking to him. And somewhere along the way, people began to bring their babies. And they said, would you bless my child? Would you bless my infant? Or maybe it was a small child. And they were bringing him to Jesus. But if you were living in the first century, uh, infants had no merit, no status, nothing. Little children uh, couldn't produce anything. Uh, infant mortality was really high back then. And so really, children had no value until they got big enough that they could work to help the family. Uh, and so for them, for them to bring their infants to Jesus, their babies to Jesus, and ask him to bless, uh, bless them, it bothered the, the disciples. They thought Jesus had bigger things to do, more important things to do. And so they actually rebuked that's a very strong word in the New Testament. They actually rebuked these parents saying, don't bother the master, stay away from him. He's got more important people to talk to and more important things to do. But Jesus then calls them to himself and says, wait a minute, you guys don't get it. Because the kingdom of God is for people like them. And unless you become like a child, unless you become childlike, you're not going to get in. You're going to miss uh, the kingdom of God. And so it begs the question, what does it mean to, uh, if, if this is how we receive the kingdom to come childlike, what does that look like? And, and one of the tips that he gives us in this, uh, these verses is to say that, uh, that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. That little kids, babies, infants are great receivers. They're great at receiving. You know, one of the hard things for adults, and how many times has somebody said to you, you're really good at giving, but you're horrible at receiving? 
that we don't like to receive help. We, we kind of think it's good to help people and we feel good about ourselves when we help people, but, but, to, help, but to be helped uh, says there's a weakness in me, there's something in me, I can't do this on my own. And, and so it's really hard for a lot of us to receive help, but yet Jesus is saying that one of the criteria for getting into the kingdom is that we need to be like little children, like infants, and be great receivers, receiving comfort, receiving love, receiving care, uh, all of those things that babies need to survive, that they can't survive without an adult coming alongside them, without an adult feeding them and, and taking care of them. And Jesus is saying, that's how you come. You don't bring anything with you. You recognize that there's nothing in you that deserves the kingdom of God, but it's a gift from me. I've got this great little two-and-a-half-year-old grandson named Henry. And Henry... Uh, as soon as he sees his grandpa, that would be me, as soon as he sees his grandpa, he runs up to me with his arms out and he says, Grandpa, hold you. And I pick him up fast. And I hold Henry, and Henry might just lay his head on my shoulder. He might just smile and wave at everybody he sees. I have no idea what he's going to do. All I know is that he wants Grandpa to hold him. And he says, Grandpa, hold you. And he receives that. He asks for that. He's, he gets tired of walking. He's two and a half. He said, Grandpa, pick me up, will you? Will you hold me? Will you, will you cuddle with me? Will you squeeze me? Will you let me know how loved I am? And I am more than happy to do that. And sometimes our Heavenly Father just simply wants his children to come and say, Father, hold you. Hold me. That I want to receive your love. I want to receive your, your grace in, in my life that I need you and I recognize that I don't come with anything on my own, that I'm completely dependent on you. And that's a hard message for us, isn't it? But it's a message that Jesus gives. In fact, he gives it a little bit even stronger in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. Mark's a great book because Mark is more blunt and more passionate than the other Gospels. And most scholars believe that's because Mark had as his prime source for his information uh, the apostle Peter. And if you've ever learned anything about Peter, you know that blunt was part of his uh, MO, you know, that being passionate was part of who Peter was. And so it stands to reason that the book of Mark, it would be, it's the shortest of the gospels and it's the most passionate, the most blunt. And here's uh, what Mark 10 says. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant with them. He was indignant uh, and said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, who does not receive the, the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So how important is this lesson? Jesus was indignant. He says, you can miss the kingdom of God because you think you're too important or you think you have too many answers or you think you're too old or you're too mature and you can miss the kingdom of God uh, because you don't come like a child. You don't come with your arms open and, and, and isn't that the truth? And, and here's the thing that, that we all grew up in the church and a lot of us grew up in the church, I should say, and, and a lot of us know what that feels like. And sometimes maybe we can begin to think that we know all the answers and we have it all down and we, we need to, it's important for us to come to church and not look needy, not look like we need anything. And what Jesus is saying is that, that you can miss the kingdom of God because your heart isn't open to needing Christ, to needing God. 
to being uh, with him. Uh, the, the Bible talks about this uh, in Ephesians second chapter, verses eight and nine. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Did you catch this? He says, for by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's not something you brought with you. It's not something that you earned. It's not something that you figured out. But he says it's not of your own doing, but that you have been saved by faith. And it is a gift from God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. And one thing that we know is that we can get really boasty, can't we? We can get really boasty about what we've done and who we are and how successful we are and how smart we are. And, and, you know, we can do it in the church too. You know, we can be boasty about what we know and what other people don't know and how right we are and how wrong they are and all of those things. And Jesus says that none of that matters in the kingdom, that what matters is that we've given a gift and it's the gift of grace. And it's not something we earn, but it's something that comes through knowing Christ. It comes simply through him. And, and the, the way that that's traditionally been talked about in the scripture and, and in the church is that grace means unmerited favor. Grace means unmerited favor. That this is something that we haven't done on our own. It's something that we don't deserve, but it's something that is a gift from God. And it's something that we need to get our arms around and we need to understand uh, because everything in us wants to do the opposite. Everything in us wants everybody to know how good we are and how solid we are and how much we deserve recognition and acclaim and attention and all of those things. And, and everything in us wants people to, to, to think what a good person we are and, and this idea that, that we don't need anything, that we can do it on our own, that we've kind of got this figured out. And then the, the, the scripture comes in and says, but that's not how you get into God's kingdom. You get into God's kingdom by being reminded that we don't bring anything with us, that we don't do anything on our own, that we're dependent on the love and the mercy of God for our lives and he calls that unmerited favor that is grace that's what he gives us the old alternative to grace that the bible talks about is salvation by works and it says I can be good enough I can merit salvation on my own even people who don't believe in God believe in some some form of salvation by works you know maybe they have this idea that if I do enough good things versus bad things that the good will outweigh the bad and and God will look at that and he's a fair if he's going to be fair about it then he's going to have to let me into heaven or or whatever it is and, and we still they still live out of that idea of good works of works it just depends on how we define salvation. We all want to be saved. We all want to be free. We all need it and we all know it. And that sense in us will never go away. Our culture redefines what it, salvation means and it becomes largely economic or therapeutic. Salvation will come if we're successful enough and, and our salvation will come if we're happy enough or so we think. Uh, and, and, and then we have this sense on the inside of us that, that we're not there yet. And so we keep running harder and we keep climbing faster and higher and we push our kids to do a little bit more and grace, the grace of Jesus says, stop, stop. You can't be successful enough. You cannot be talented enough. You cannot be smart enough. You can't be tough enough or good enough that you need grace. Years ago, uh, 
our family, I had an opportunity to, to go to uh, Regent Seminary in, in Vancouver, British Columbia and take a couple of classes. And, and so I was able to take the whole family, uh, we would take the whole family with us. And, and so I called a friend who lived in the Northwest and said, hey, you know, these classes are at night. So we got our days, you know, what would be great to do? And he had these, all these ideas for us. But one thing he told us is that you won't believe this, but the World's Fair is in Vancouver while you're there. And I know a guy and I can, maybe I can get you in. So we get to Vancouver, we call this guy and he says, yeah, meet us uh, at the World's Fair. And, and we didn't know anything. I mean, oh, we just got there and, and this guy meets us at the gate and he takes us to this building and we go in this room and all of a sudden we're in this room and he, he gives us these lanyards to put around our neck and they say VIP on these lanyards. And we spent a whole day at the World's Fair. We never waited in one line. We walked past all of those poor people that were waiting for hours to get into an exhibit and we went in a special door uh, we got to do everything that we wanted. We had this on all day and it felt kind of weird to, to be in that place because we knew that we weren't rich and we weren't powerful and we weren't famous and we had nothing, there was nothing about us that deserved to be VIPs except that we were wearing this lanyard with VIP on it and we never, we got through the whole day and never waited in line. I mean, we were like royalty and it had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with this little sign that we had, this little lanyard that we were wearing. And it's such a great picture of grace in our lives that, that, that God says, I'm going to give you grace and you can wear that. Actually, you'll, be, you'll wear it on the inside, but, but it says it's not something that you deserve, but I'm going to treat you like royalty. I'm going to treat you like a child of the king. I'm going to welcome you into my kingdom, not because you've earned it, not because you've deserved it, but because I love you and that's what I do. And can we, for a second, just grab onto this idea that we receive the kingdom of God because of his grace and not because of our works. And I say that because it's really hard. I mean, I, I grew up in the church and, and here's the thing. I, I, I knew how to be a good kid growing up in the church. I knew how to obey the rules. I knew the rules, basically. That's the first thing. Because I had an older brother that he knew the rules, too. He just obeying them wasn't a priority, you know, uh, for him for some reason. And I, I obeyed the rules. I decided I'm not going to do it that way. And, and it seemed harder, actually. And, and so I decided I'm going to obey the rules and I'm going to do the stuff. And I knew how to look an adult in the eye and I shake their hand. And I knew how to say the right things. And I knew the way that a kid was supposed to act to stay out of trouble and, and all of those things. And I've had this theory uh, since I was a teenager that, that if, you, uh, if you're really a good kid and you learn how to obey the rules, nobody's going to ever ask if you love Jesus. They're just going to assume that you do. It's only when you get outside the rules, it's only when you, when you get a little of attention for disobeying the rules uh, that somebody's going to kind of look at you and worry about you and, and, and ask you do, you, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And, and so I, I realized that, that I was really good at keeping the rules, but I had no idea about God's grace. I had no idea what it meant to receive that. And, and I knew in my heart that I, I knew that I was just as bad as anybody else at my high school, that I had thoughts that were just as evil and I had thoughts that were just as impure and I had things in my heart that I didn't like. And I knew all of that about myself, but I, I was caught in this whole idea that I was supposed to live a certain way and behave a certain way. And that was how to be acceptable to everybody. I don't know if any of you ever experienced that growing up in the church. Of course you have. But that was my experience until I discovered grace. Until I discovered that, you know what? The Lord knows those things in my heart. 
He knows those thoughts that I have. And, he's, and he loves me and he's forgiven me and I have life, not because I know how to act a certain way, but because I've experienced his grace in my life. And that's what God calls us. That's what God brings to us. It's his unmerited favor. Well, Luke 18 has another story that I, I want us to look at this morning. And it's a little bit before this uh, story about blessing the children. It starts in verse 9. And, and here's how it begins. He told this parable, Jesus uh, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. I just have to read that one again. I think that's such a great verse. He also told this parable to some, to a specific group of people who trusted in themselves that uh, they were righteous enough, that they obeyed enough, that they kept the rules enough, that they were righteous enough, and they treated other people who didn't measure up with contempt. So you get this group of people, you got them in your mind? All right, uh, and this is the story he says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, perhaps the group that Jesus is referring to, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, this is a great Bible word, isn't it? Prayed thus. I like that. It was, okay, I digress. He prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector standing over there. He said, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus sets this parable in the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple was primarily a, a place of prayer. Uh, it was a place to come and pray. And so we have this picture of a Pharisee who comes to pray and a tax collector who comes to pray. But it was also a cultural center and if you look at pictures or diagrams of the temple, you'll find out that the temple had porticos. The temple had areas, courts, they called them, for all different kinds of people. And it's kind of how they ordered the world. And, and so you might be a, a woman and you'd be confined to the court of women. Or you might be a Gentile and, and the non-Jew and you would be confined to the court for the non-Jews. And, and you might be a Jewish male and, and you could get through the other gates and into the other courtyards. But then you were stopped at this courtyard that was for your specific specific group of people and then maybe you were a priest or a rabbi and you might get into a, a more inner court but they ordered the world by these courts and so you have this place that was a place of prayer but it was also a place where we segregated out people and, and certain people were rated a certain way and they got in and they could get further and further in and Jesus said that's not the kingdom that's not how we do that's not grace and then he looks at the Pharisees and they were the keepers of the law and they were the ones that kept the law better than anybody else. In fact, the idea of the Pharisees came into being because they felt like Israel was straying from God's law and, and straying from what God had given them to do and how he'd given them to behave. And, and so they decided we're going to be the best rule keepers. We're going to be people who keep the law, who understand the law, who can teach the law. We're going to be the very best there are. And so they started keeping the law and they were so strict on the outside, but their hearts weren't in it. And, and over a period of time, they left God out of the equation. It became about 
about the law. It became about the rules that they were keeping and how they could keep other people out. And then there's the tax collectors. And if you read the New Testament very often, you realize that the tax collectors, they weren't even allowed to testify in court, that they were considered liars and cheaters, but they were also considered traitors to their own people because they worked for the Romans and they would collect tax, but they could they would charge more than the tax and they could keep the, the excess for themselves. And so typical tax collectors were very wealthy, but they were hated by everybody else. Uh, they were loathed by their own people. And Jesus says, here's the Pharisee that looks like he's got it all together. He looks perfect. He looks like he's keeping all the laws. Here's the tax collector that has nothing, that he's bringing nothing but his sin and his shame with him. But the Pharisee says, I can do this on my own. I've earned this. I can get to God by myself. The tax collector doesn't even lift his eyes toward heaven, but he just simply says, Father, forgive me for I am a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the one, the one who brings nothing with him, the one who recognizes his sin, the one who recognizes his lostness. He's the one that receives the kingdom of God, not the other guy. And I just don't want us to be the other guy. I don't want us to miss the kingdom, that it's about God's grace. It's about remembering his favor. And it's our unmerited favor that we receive through Christ, through his sacrifice, through what he's done for us. Romans 3 21, 24 puts it this way. But the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, been shown apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. It's for all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is Jesus Christ. You see, grace says stop trying. Grace is good, but it's not soft. Grace is not concerned about making people feel good. Grace is concerned with helping us to understand that we don't bring anything with us. Grace understands that, that we are in our sin, that we were born in our sin, that we have missed God's best, that we've missed the mark, and that God is holy and righteous, and we are separated from him, and there is no way in our own effort, there's no way in our own merit that we could ever get to him. And so God said, in my love, I'm going to provide that way. That's my grace. I'm going to provide provide a way for you to enter the kingdom through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the gift of Jesus to us. That's how you receive my grace. It's a gift from him because all of us need it. None of us are exempt. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think grace would say it's important that you pay attention to the uneasiness that you have about not being good enough. The uneasiness that we have sometimes about what if, ever, if people knew what I thought, if people knew what I was really like, what would they think of me? Because God already knows and he offers you his grace and he welcomes you by his grace into life with him. All right, uh, I've got this other little story that I want to share with you and it's, uh, it's a great author Maybe you've read all of his books on your His name is um, Arnold Lobel. And uh, this little book's called The Frog and the Toad Together. And uh, there they are. Uh, and this particular story is uh, called Cookies. Here's how it goes. Toad bakes some cookies. 
These cookies smell very good, said Toad. He ate one, and they taste even better, he said. Toad ran to Frog's house. Frog, Frog, cried Toad. Taste these cookies that I've made. And Frog ate one of these cookies, and he said, these are the best cookies I have ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, said Frog, with his mouth full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You're right, said Toad. Let us eat one last cookie, and then we'll stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There are many cookies left in the bowl. Frog said, Toad, let us eat one very last cookie, and then we'll stop. And Frog and Toad ate one very last cookie, and Frog put the cookies in a box. There, he said, now we'll not uh, eat any more cookies, but, but we can open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. So Frog tied some string around the box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies, but, but we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. So Frog got on a ladder, and he put the box on a high shelf there, said Frog. Now we will not eat any more cookies, but we can climb the ladder and take the box down from the shelf and cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. So Frog climbed the ladder and took the box down from the shelf and cut the string and he opened the box and Frog took the box outside and he shouted in a loud voice, hey birds, here are cookies. And birds came from everywhere and they picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly, not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. You may keep it all, Frog said, uh, Frog said Toad. I'm going home to bake a cake. <laughs> so a wise person once said, the problem with willpower is that it doesn't change the heart. The problem with willpower is that it doesn't change the heart. You can will yourself to death. You can work yourself to death. You can climb yourself to death. You can do all of those, but it doesn't change your heart. Grace, opening our heart to the love of Christ, will change our heart. Grace would say that spiritual and moral sanity begins with this recognition God, I've neglected you and your ways. I've ignored you and your way of life. I have defied you and your ways, and there is something wrong, something broken in me, and I can't fix it. Grace actually came to earth one day. The Gospel of John says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And Jesus shows us how grace lives. He went to the cross, and he showed us how grace dies. Paul said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we are justified by his grace as a gift. By grace, we're considered forgiven. By grace, we're considered whole. By grace, we become citizens of the kingdom of God. And so there are two things that we, we talk about. One is maybe we've never experienced God's grace in our lives. Maybe we've never invited Christ into our heart. We've never received that grace. Or maybe we've been going to church a long time and somehow we've bought into this whole idea that if I can talk a certain way and behave a certain way and interact with people a certain way that nobody will really know. It'll, I can earn something, at least people's respect, at least people's recognition and attention. And we settle for something that isn't what God intended for. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. 
But what he offers us is unmerited favor. What he offers us is his grace. And the scripture says his grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for all of our needs, for everything that we have. And so here's what I'm asking you this morning is not to settle for something that doesn't matter, not to settle for something that doesn't really meet the need in your heart, but to recognize that we don't bring anything with us. And you may have been at this for a long, long time, but we just need to be reminded that we don't bring anything to this party, that it's because of Jesus. It's because of his love. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, thank you that how we, you call us to experience your grace. You call us, Lord, to uh, receive you like a child, to become a receiver, Lord. Uh, and uh, that, that, that pushes our pride, Lord. It, it pushes uh, things in us that want to be recognized and, and uh, look like we're achievers, look like we're more than we are. And Lord, we need to come to you this morning like children and say simply, uh, Father, hold you. Hold me, Father. Let me experience your grace. Let me experience your love. Let me experience your peace. And Lord, that's what we ask for this morning. That's what we would receive from you through your spirit. So Lord, we want to thank you and we want to give you praise and honor and glory for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to invite, um, one of the things we, if you've been checking our you know, your emails uh, occasionally and all of our social media stuff. We were talking about taking a second offering uh, this morning, and we're going to do that now. Uh, we've been trying to figure out what to do for the hurricane relief. We just feel like God would be honored if we responded somehow, and we were going to uh, respond to the Texas, uh, and then it became Texas and Florida, you know, and Alabama and other places, and now we're thinking, gosh, Puerto Rico, who knows? Um, as these hurricanes keep coming. But Greg Gillis is the uh, chairman of our elder board, and he's going to explain what we're going to do. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website, at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Great, thank you. So did you get those two ways? As you walk out, there'll be receptacles. You can just put your offering in there and as a response, uh, or you can go on our website this week and uh, you can give online and, and uh, just designate it for uh, the hurricane relief and we'll make sure it gets uh, uh, to the right spots. And what we're trying to do is partner with some local churches who are right in the middle of the the, the fight with people and caring for people to, that we can partner with them and, and, uh, and serve together as the body of Christ. So I'm really grateful for the elders uh, stepping up and also allocating that money to match so that we can really uh, do something important and significant for these folks. So that's the, that's the offering today. Um, if you uh, stand with me, please, uh, don't forget there will be this video. So if you have time to stay and watch it, that would be great. But, but um, I, I just wanna uh, offer you this blessing uh, that the grace uh, of Christ go with you uh, and may his face shine upon you. 
and may you experience his love and his favor today. Our prayer partners will be uh, here if you'd like prayer this morning. Also the prayer table, you can write your request down and we'll be praying with you during the week. I love you guys. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.